You're listening to a message from Mercy Culture Church, home of Pastor Landon and Heather Schott in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information about Mercy Culture and ways that you can be a part of it, visit mercyculture.com. Come on, why don't you turn that hand to Jesus this morning? If he's been good to you, why don't you lift up a shout of praise? Come on, if he's your King of kings and Lord of lords, has he been good to your family? Come on, somebody shout. Has he been good to your marriage? Oh, I just love him this morning. I love your pastor and his wife. Love this house. Aren't you thankful for Mercy Culture, Pastor Landon and Heather? Pastor Heather is that vicious. So is my wife. They are slacking today. They say they need rest. We need rest from them. But we praise God for them. I want to thank you in this house. <laughs> We're going to move on quick. Um, I love my wife. My wife has, um, she says that she is the mother of four boys, Jaden, Judah, Jordan, and Jeremy. Um, my name's Jeremy. A couple of y'all missed that. Uh, and we are so blessed and so thankful. You know, I stand here and I just, um, going from laughing to feel like weeping because I'm reminded how much we have to be thankful for. And I just feel something very different in this service and in this moment that before we get started in ministering the word of God, that we ought to just take a moment and say, thank you, Jesus. You've got food in your belly. You've got a roof over your head. Somehow you got to church today. You may not have the best situation in the family you're believing for, but at least you got a family. At least you have people around you that love you. Maybe you say, well, Pastor, I don't have any of that. I want to tell you, you're in a spirit-filled, fire-baptized, ground-taking, devil-destroying church. And listen, if God never does another thing for you, he's done enough to deserve praise for you for a very long time. Let the worshipers arise. Let the praises arise. Come on, let everything that has breath praise the Lord of hosts. Lord, we worship you, we worship you, we worship you. I'll tell you, I'm here to preach to you today as a consequence of sin. I have a job as a consequence of sin. If sin did not exist, I would not be standing here preaching to you today. But I'm preaching to you today to soften the hearts of stone and make them a heart of flesh by working of the Spirit of God to bring you back into fold or into union with Christ Jesus. That's why preachers exist today. Without, without sin, we don't exist. But I'll tell you this, that without sin, though preachers may not exist, worshipers would still exist. And so that's why I love in this house, we don't cut worship short because we were created to worship. And so though I'm thankful to be a preacher, I'm a worshiper before I ever was a preacher. I'm a son before I ever was a pastor. I belong to him before I was ever a husband, before I was ever a father. So we say, Holy Spirit, you can have the room. Do what you want to do. Have your way in this house. We worship and we thank you. How many of you in this room, you'll say, Pastor, I want to align myself with the kingdom of God. No, I mean fully align yourself with the kingdom of God. Shout, say, that's me. 
Then, beloved, what you must understand is there is a stark difference between revelatory behavior and religious behavior. You see, religious behavior will last a little while while things are going good. When you on top, when you got a little money in your pocket, your money ain't funny. Religious behavior teaches you how to clap. You know, I, I was raised in church. We had all kind of religious behaviors. Y'all give it up for the piano man. He's going to stay with us for a little bit longer. I, I grew up in church. Uh, I, I grew up um, an Assembly of God boy. I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. I was actually born in Atlanta. And I, I was born in Assembly of God Tabernacle right there in Decatur, Georgia. And we, we were taught a, a, lot of, a lot of things to do in church. You know, turn around one time for the Father, two time for the Son, and three time for the Holy Ghost. Now look at your neighbor, push your neighbor and say, neighbor, I now deputize you as the praise leader on your row. I don't even know what this stuff means, right? We just, we just, okay. Somebody shout. Much better than first service. I knew y'all loved the Lord more than them. They tried to say because they came early, they loved the Lord more. I said, no, you came early because you knew there was a time restriction. That's why you came early. I, I was taken up for you. But we shout. Okay. And so we're taught how to shout. But, but what if I said it to you like this, that, that when you shout, what creates this noise? And as you create a noise out of your mouth, this is revelatory now, as a noise comes forth out of your mouth, that it actually has a way of piercing the air. And even in the realm that you cannot see, it has a way of shattering that in the atmosphere that's in front of it. And then if I told you that the devil was the prince of the air, then you would understand greater. Shout for a voice of triumph. Shout with a voice of praise. Shout unto God. Now you're destroying principalities. Now you're pulling things down. Come on, somebody shout. Now sit down. Sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. Feel the weight? The weight is different. How many of you feel like that was good? Say amen. 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 Why don't you say amen? Why do we shout Pastor Landon down when he preaches? Is it religious behavior? Or do we have a revelation of why we shout amen? For when Pastor Landon is preaching, and I, I said it several times when you were up here today, I said amen. And the reason I said that is I said, let it be so in my life, and it is finished in my life. And so I say, I want to attach my faith to what you're saying. So I'm saying amen. So this is not just religious behavior. This is not style. This is not religious. This is not a denomination. We shout amen because we are testifying with the word of God that's being spoken from the stage. Well, your Bible says that you overcome the devil by the power of the blood and the word of your testimony. So now I see my shout is piercing the air, destroying the prince of the air. And now I see that my amen is putting the devil under my feet. So now I have, watch, revelatory behavior that the world did not give so the world cannot take it away. So my circumstance doesn't dictate my shout, doesn't dictate my praise, doesn't dictate my giving, doesn't dictate my serving because I know who my God is. I know my 
place. And so I will shout at all times. I'll praise at all times. I'll give in the good times and in the bad times. I'll dance in the middle of my dilemma and I'll praise him on the mountaintop for he is good and his mercy endures forever. Revelatory behavior. If you're watching online right now, just shout up, just put fire or high five or do something. Y'all bear with me. My throat's bothering me a little bit, and I didn't get much sleep last night because Heather and Missy were up cackling like little high school girls in the middle of the night <laughs> till 2 o'clock in the morning. Knowing good and well their husbands had to minister, y'all please pray for us. Just no, no honor. If anybody wants to give me a ride to the airport. So you understand now that revelatory behavior is greater than religious behavior. It's key that you get this because today I want to unlock for you the revelatory heart behind a heart for mercy. I want you to leave here today with an understanding that what is about to take place next week is not, oh, let me get ahead of myself. It is not you giving up, it's you getting under. Put that in this pocket. That one right there. It's not you giving up, it is you getting under. But I want you to understand more than I want you to come into this house and, and bring resources. I want you to understand why. Because when you understand why, that means seasons do not have the power to dictate your behavior. The Word dictates it. How many of you want to live your life according to the Word of God? How many of you want the fullness of the kingdom? All right, so the framework of today's message, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 10. 1 Kings chapter 10. But I want to catch everybody up on the kingdom or this, this theology of the kingdom because that will be the framework that everything within this text will be woven between. If you're ready, shout amen. amen. The kingdom of God is not a religion. It is God's sovereign government. You have to get this. And there is an anointing for government upon this house. I told this to your pastor in first service that him and his wife have been anointed. When you start talking about taking ground, I see you taking over cities in God's government. You have a mantle for the government of God. Not just church government, not just a government, local government, but the government of God. I actually saw you and your wife. I saw you and your wife holding hands and walking. And while you were laughing together, not interceding, not in a church service, you were laughing together. Literally, I saw you, you were on the trail, laughing together, and demons were fleeing, parting as a red sea. You weren't even trying to cast them out, but they were running because of the mantle that rests on your life. There is a mantle of kingdom government on this church that is going to turn things upside down for the glory of God. You got to get used to not fitting in. You better get used to folks saying that church is a little bit different over there on the highway. You go ahead and get used to it now. Go ahead and get used to people saying you don't work like other workers and you don't act like other people and you don't respond like other people. Wait, don't you know they were, did you Wrong? Don't you know they said something hateful? Don't you know that was prejudice and that was mean? Yeah, I know it, but you don't know what my daddy says about me. So it doesn't matter what they say about me because I know that I am grafted into the body. 
you are different, push somebody and say you're weird. If you're online, push your dog or cat and say you're weird. All right. So if the kingdom is not religion, it's not assembly of God, church of God, Kojic, AME, Lutheran, Baptist, that's not the kingdom of God. It's sovereign government. You have to understand the Bible through the context of government. So now that you know this, the Bible is not a religious book. If you have your Bible, hold it up. I want to learn you something. This is not a religious book. This is a covenant and a constitution that reveals the benefits that belong to the citizen of this government. So from Genesis to Revelation, this is constitution. Paul tells the church in Ephesus that once you give your life to Jesus, that you are no longer a citizen of the earth, but you become a citizen of heaven. So you are in the world, but you are not of the world. That means that, that though, I'm, though I'm here today and I abide by the laws of the land, I'm not bound by what the world says because this is my constitution and that is my government. So I may see woes and trouble on the earth, but I know that I am not subjected to that because I'm underneath this constitution and I can have what this says I can have and I can do what this says I can do. This is, this is my constitution. So hence, this is why Isaiah, as, as Isaiah releases the messianic prophecy of Christ, the Bible doesn't say that he would be carrying fancy buildings on his shoulders or big church crowds upon his shoulders, but the Bible is very clear that he would be carrying government. Kingdom is God's sovereign government. It's not a religion. It's not church building. Jesus was carrying government on his shoulders and he had one message. It was the gospel of the kingdom of God. He didn't come preaching healing sermons or deliverance sermons. Or he didn't come preaching sermons about faith. Those things manifested. Yes, healings happened. Deliverance took place. Demons fled because Jesus opened his mouth and he spoke government. He spoke constitution. He said, we're taking territory and there's nothing you can do about it. I love what Pastor Pastor No Shoes said up here. I, I don't can't remember your name. What he said, he started screaming, not one inch. Not one inch. Let me tell you and speak to the modern church in America. We've been giving up more than inches but it stops today. We are not giving up another inch. We're not giving up an inch to abortion. We're not giving up an inch to same-sex marriage. We are not giving giving up an inch to you indoctrinating our kids with false ideologies. We are taking ground because government says we can. Told you I grew up Pentecostal church. Our introductions are 45 minutes and our closings five minutes. How many of you give me about five more minutes? Come on. It's 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30. I got easy two hours in here. I know you got reservations at the Golden Corral, but, but we're going to be here a little bit. So Jesus leaves and sends the Holy Spirit. Inside of the kingdom, the Holy Spirit is a governor. The governor comes into a territory that has been taken over by a kingdom and teaches the culture of the kingdom that it comes from. Your Bible says the Holy Spirit searches the deep truths of God and is constantly revealing to us the deep truths of God. A governor lives, lives inside of a governor's mansion. You are the mansion. 
That means God is using his governor, the Holy Spirit, on the inside of you to turn and change culture. This church is mercy culture. The church that I pastor is kingdom culture because we want God's culture in the earth. And the church is not here to build programs. We are here to shift culture. All right, now that you got all of that, what does this have to do with giving? What does this have to do with Heart for Mercy? When kids of the king activate the king's culture with keys, biblical principles, every culture that opposes it falls. So I'll say it like this. I declare that as you obey the Lord in this season, that everything that opposes the king in your life is falling. That the resistance that you've been facing for years as you obey the Lord during this heart for mercy season, this resistance is falling in the name of Jesus. There's even been a riff in somebody's marriage. But you're listening to me preach right now. You're going to get together and you're going to sow in generosity and believe God for the miraculous. Your marriage is going to get restored as you declare the king is first in your life. Everything that opposes God in your life is falling in Jesus' name. Now... 1 Kings 10, push your neighbor and say, neighbor, that's the longest introduction I've ever heard. 1 Kings 10. 1 Kings 10. Now, I, I think it's imperative for you to note that in your Bible, in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 42, that Jesus uh, speaks and chooses this particular passage as he is referencing a lukewarm generation. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 42 that the queen of south or the queen of Sheba is going to rise in judgment against the earth because she sought Solomon with all of this fervency and generosity, yet something is greater before you and you seek me not. Sounds like much of the church today. In 1 Kings chapter 10, we'll begin in verse 1. Now the Bible says when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. Verse 2, she came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue or a royal presence that she had with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stone. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind and Solomon answered her questions and there was nothing hidden from the king. Come on, you can't hide nothing from King Jesus. There was nothing hidden from the king that could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon and the house that he had built and the food on his table, praise God for food. You get food and Holy Ghost together and you got something special. The seating of his officials, the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, his burnt offerings, all that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. Underline that in your Bible. No more breath in her. She said, I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. There will be people that won't believe it, but they'll step in this house and they will believe in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. She said, and behold, the half was not even told to me. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. And never again came such an abundance of spices as these that the queen of Sheba gave to the king of Solomon. And the king of Solomon gave. Circle the word gave. Notice that the king of Solomon gave to Queen of Sheba all that she desired everything she wanted he did it and boy if you just seek first 
all these things shall be added unto you. Whatever she asked beside what was given to her in the bounty of King Solomon, so she turned and went back to her own land with her own servants. So let's recap this text. You have a royal woman that is seeking diplomatic revelation on how to rule her world. Okay? She goes to a king that's in a greater position looking for diplomatic advice on how to rule in her country. Let me rephrase it. There is a king that is in heaven that those rulers of the earth must go before to seek diplomatic revelation on how to rule and govern the earth. This is why in this house I love the motto that says, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Seeking diplomatic revelation to the king. She came with gifts. Now watch, her gifts put a demand on the king's culture. And then she leaves with a life that she never knew she could live. I want to talk to you just for a few moments about the giving key. Because everything in the kingdom is not rules and regulations. It's an invitation. Where keys and principles unlock doors and put children underneath the hand of the Father. How many of you are ready to be the underneath the hand of the Father this morning? Amen. Let's pray. Why don't you lift your hands. Let's get into this anointing. Father, we love you and we thank you. Uh, teach us your ways that we may know you and that we may find your favor for it. It's in that place that we see your glory. And so, Lord, we come to you boldly and ask that you would just speak to us with clarity and precision that every heart in here would be changed. Anything that is, that is to be said of man's doing, just remove it and speak, Lord, to every single heart in Jesus' name. Somebody shout amen. Amen, amen. Why don't you just push two or three people and say it's time to get under the king. It's time to get under the king. Y'all give it up for the ivory stroker over here. Yes, sir. Back home in Orlando, we call that sweet Jesus music. So you're going to come back in a little bit. Uh, let's talk about a revelation to why we approach the king with giving. Number one, giving communicates in the kingdom. It communicates. It's, it's how you speak in a kingdom. Now, there are a couple misconceptions about generosity. One of them is that generosity is all about money. La. Another one is I can be generous and not give money. La. Another one is, oh, anytime we do offerings in the church, we're buying God or we're buying a miracle. You can't buy God with your money. Lie. But you can honor God with your finances. I got a whole lot of amens on the other ones. <laughs> I got quiet up in this Presbyterian church when I said the last one. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. You can honor God with your finances. So the overarching principle of giving in the kingdom of God is you own nothing but you steward everything. You don't own your house, you steward it. You don't own your children, you steward it. You don't own your marriage, you steward it. You don't own that bank account, it's got your name on it because you are the name of the steward that God entrusted it into your care. And so you are being held accountable for everything you do with everything God has given you. Mama and daddy, those children, don't you antagonize them. You are a steward of them and you will be held accountable before God for how you steward them. Here's the thing, the difference between owners and stewards. Owners obey God when it's convenient. When it feels good. 
If you are a steward, you know that it's not yours. And whether you got a job or don't have a job, you still are going to give because it is a principle in the kingdom. And whether things are going good, whether you're healthy or not healthy, you are still going to worship because you are stewarding the breath that's in your lungs. And as long as I'm still breathing, oh, Jesus, I'm still going to praise you. So then, having that said, people don't have a giving problem. They have a God problem. People don't have a faith problem, they have a God problem. People don't have a righteousness problem, they have a God problem because they think they own their life and not steward their life. So when you own it, it is all about pleasing you. When you steward it, it's about pleasing the one that owns it. The Bible is so misunderstood, especially when it comes to money. I mean, you just feel it in, in, in churches when you talk about money, everybody just draws right on up. Because we've heard it like this in church, we've heard giving money like this. It's like an auction. Hey, what do you say? Hey, what do you say? Give me five, give me five, give me five. You give ten, God will give you twenty. God will give you twenty. If you give twenty, God will give you forty. Hey, anybody got a hundred? Anybody got a hundred? You give a hundred, God will multiply that ten times, give you one thousand. What you say now? If you got a thousand dollars, come to the stage. Hundred dollars, you can stand in the aisle. What? Like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do now. Am I supposed to give? Hey, what do you say? If you don't give, you go to hell now. Whoa, whoa, wait a second. Time out. This is manipulation. That's not culture. Culture says in the kingdom, I don't give to get. I give because I esteem the king too much to break presence protocol. Because I'm in a government and I won't break protocol. So when I come before the king, I don't give to get. I give because I love him. That's what I love about giving in the kingdom. Back in Nashville, when I was young, and, and in Florida, we have these things called Santa's Workshop in, in school. Anybody got Santa's Workshop? What's wrong with you Texans? You, like, Santa's Workshop, you know where the kids go to school and they buy mommy and daddy a gift? They get mom and daddy the coffee mugs with like, is M-O-M-Y, they, they're missing an M, like clearance coffee mugs and stuff like that, you know? My babies are watching this morning. Babies, I thank you so much for the cups. My favorite coffee cups. I love them so very much. My favorite, especially that NFL one. I love them. I love them. And, and, and they go and they buy mama the jewelry. You know how they, get, they got that little jewelry that you get out of quarter machines in the Kroger? You know. Okay, anyways. And so, so. So they go and they shop for mom and daddy and they come home and on Christmas morning, it's everybody opening presents and the kids, I, I, I can see it, I can see it just as plain as day this past Christmas. They're sitting there waiting, waiting when you open that one, when you go open this gift, when you go open this one. They are so excited about us opening this really awesome expensive gift. I mean, they are thrilled about it. Because for them, this gift communicates what I mean to them. And so they can hardly wait to give this gift because they want mommy and daddy to know how much they love us. So that daddy open this, daddy open this, daddy open this. And they're watching my face to see how I respond. Not once did they think they were giving something up. They were just looking for an opportunity for daddy to be happy. They just wanted daddy to smile. They just wanted daddy to look at them and say that I, that I approved of what they were giving me. Now watch, what they were giving me did not bless me because 
because it was something physical that I needed. It blessed me because they wanted a moment of intimacy with me and they wanted to see my response because they loved me. They weren't trying to impress me with their money or with their gift. They were trying to tell me that they loved me. But here's when it gets really good in the kingdom. Guess where they got the money to buy the gift? I gave them the money as an invitation to a morning of it. Oh, I feel like preaching up in the house this morning. I wanted them to be intimate with me, so I gave them the job. I gave them the promotion. I gave them the raise. I gave them the money. I gave them all of it because I wanted a moment of intimacy. Somebody shout stewardship. That's why James said every good gift is from above. Every good gift is from above. You didn't earn it. You ain't that good. You're not that gifted. You're not that talented. There is no reason I should be standing on this stage preaching. I don't deserve this microphone. I don't deserve this platform. I don't deserve anything that I have. None of us deserve any of this. Every gift comes from above. That's why the Bible says, Paul says, if you will acknowledge that you are a steward and not an owner, then the Bible says the Lord loves a cheerful giver. One that's just happy. Because, Lord, I know you gave me this anyways. So giving in the kingdom is not a forced behavior. It's a response of love. I want to uproot every demonic religious idea that is attached this spirit of manipulation when it comes to money and the church and has kept you from giving. Let me say this. You cannot allow somebody's misrepresentation of God keep you from representing God. I know you've seen it done wrong. I know you've heard it wrong. I know there's some people in here right now that are still skeptical as I'm preaching to you. But I'm preaching to you with a boldness and conviction because I understand the Bible as government, not optional. It's not optional for me. It's government. It's constitution. It is how I communicate to the Father. So yes, I have seen people sell miracle spring water out of the Trinity River and call it some kind of blessed thing and charge people $49.99 for it at 2 o'clock in the morning. You need to get your money back. Because that water ain't even soft water. It's worthless. So you got burned and now you're going to rob God? You can't let the misrepresentation of God keep you from representing who God is. He doesn't get you off the hook. And I think that sometimes that, that, that as church folk, we love to see a church do it wrong so we can excuse us for disobedience. And we don't get an excuse in this government to disobey. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 18 that a gift opens doors for the one who gives it and brings him into the presence of great people. Somebody say presence. So my gift brings me into presence. There are so many people standing at locked doors and they are frustrated because they cannot figure out that they are a steward and not an owner. And so you continue to rob from God and expect God to open up doors for you and God's not going to open up a door for you when you are a thief. Is that too harsh? If I smile, will it make it better? So the queen of Sheba comes to Solomon and she refuses to come empty handed. 
Theologians believe as they study the life of, uh, in this story that the Queen of Sheba traveled over 1,500 miles with $250 million worth of gifts that she gave. Somebody say, do it again, Lord. Do it again. Somebody do it again. I, I feel there's a $250 million tither in the room. Now look, if that comes in next week, you owe Florida 10% of that, okay? Just witnesses, witnesses. $250 million. Why? Royal protocol. You think she just wanted to give it away? No, it was protocol. As I was studying royal protocol and diplomatic procedure, official royal diplomatic procedure, that, that when you come into a king's present in these ancient times, you must not come to the king without a gift, and you cannot even speak unless you give a gift first. Because a gift communicates how you esteem the king. Deuteronomy 16, when Moses is setting in stone all the festivals, he says this, there shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. It's funny, we want God to open his hand, but we want to keep our hands closed. So the gift to the king is used to communicate how you feel about them, how you esteem them, your perception of them. Giving exposes the heart more than words ever will. Because when you give, it breaks the back of the root of all evil, which is the love of money. It breaks the back of that. You can tell God you love him, but when you start reaching into your bank account and telling your flesh no, but telling your spirit yes, you start communicating how much you esteem him. God, you matter more to me than anything that I have. This is why David said, I will not give of the Lord that which costs me nothing. I esteem my king too much to bring him less than he deserves. I want my king to know that I value, I esteem him, and I honor him. I give him my life because he's the king of my salvation. I give him my time because he's my king and he's my Abba Father. I give him my sickness because he's king of my healing. I give him my money because he's my kingly provider. I don't give for man. I don't give from pressure. I don't give for religions. I don't give for denominations. I give because I'm in the presence of my king. And I esteem him too much to come before him empty-handed. And what I love about this house is Pastor Landon and Heather refuse to preach something that they will not live. And them, along with this entire team, will come before the Lord with their own own gift because in the kingdom of God you lead by example we don't give don't you say I feel pressure don't feel pressure no pressure just obedience no pressure just come in and tell daddy how much you love him that's what you do because it communicates to the king now the next thing somebody shall test giving puts the receiving king to the test in royal protocol, it tests the receiving king. Now, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5 is a rather obscure text uh, to, to, to bring this point home, but it's imperative that you understand who you are in the earth. Revelation chapter 1. It's in the back of your Bible. If you're in the middle of your Bible, you're in the wrong spot. You need to read the Bible more. Corporate encounters, you've been stopping. Go to them daily personal encounters. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the what? Over the what? Kings of the earth. And he made us what? 
kings, lowercase kings, and priests to his God and Father. The reason he made us priests, just a little side note, rabbit trail, because it wouldn't be a Pentecostal sermon without one, is because the priests were built to handle glory. So he had to make you to be a priest so that you could handle his glory. And he made you a king so that you were royal and could be his joint heir. So that you could engage in royalty and covenant and constitution. So the queen of Sheba was royalty visiting the greatest king on the earth. So we have royalty visiting royalty. Even kings bring gifts to kings because it's a known culture in kingdoms to give. Now watch, when you come before God, you are a lowercase king coming before the king of kings. So just because you are royalty, it does not excuse you from coming in the presence of the king of kings and not giving. Okay, now we're going to go a little further. Somebody say go a little further. The glory of a king is always measured by his wealth. This was, this was how they would determine the glory of a king. That his glory was measured by his wealth, his land, his treasures, his people. This is why Solomon was considered the greatest king on the earth. And yes, it was his wisdom, but more so it was because of the amount of wealth that he had. So he had the highest amount of glory on the earth. Solomon did. Because a king's worth was all, and his glory was measured through wealth. So when a king receives a gift from another king, the receiving king always has to respond. Watch, because Sheba's gift put a demand on the glory of Solomon. Are you with me? Her gift put a demand on Solomon's wealth. That when she came in, she put Solomon to the test. So the receiving king is now being tested. And here's what happens. When you come into the presence of a king that is greater, that king refuses to let you come into their throne room and have greater glory than what is on them. So when you give, it puts a demand on the king to prove to you that his glory is greater. So you don't give to get. You give because you love, but you cannot stop God from giving back to you something that is greater. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over because he's going to prove to you that his glory is greater than yours. You ever heard the saying, you can't outgive God? Now you have a revelation to that saying. Because the king refuses to let you. I don't care how wealthy you are in this room. You can come drop a seven-figure check. And it's the same as somebody dropping $7 if the obedience is the same. So it's not equal amount. It's equal obedience. It doesn't matter. What the size of your gift, your heavenly father will never let your earthly glory outshine him. He will always outdo you. Boy, that's something to get excited about. Now, I got a little bit more time in this service right here, so I'm just going to stop right there for a minute and give you an opportunity that you just missed to walk up into a praise moment because every time you give, your God is going to outdo you, outperform you, outgive you. That means you obeyed God and gave $10,000. God healed your marriage, brought the prodigal son home, gave you the promotion, gave you peace. You had slept in 10 years. Now you're sleeping because you obeyed God and his glory will always be greater than yours. You're testing, 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 testing. Now you fully understand with Revelation now because you've heard this text. Malachi chapter 3. 
bring your tithe to the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test. Test me in this. You ever heard this scripture? This is literally God saying, test my glory. Test me in this. Then he says, see if I will not pour out, if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven or the kingdom and pour out so much glory or blessing that there will be not room enough for you to receive it. That means that, when, he said, when you give, you are putting a demand on my glory, but not only are you putting a demand on my glory, but you are positioning yourself underneath who I am. See, that's some of your frustration. You've just been under the wrong spigot. We call, we call it spigot in Tennessee. I don't know what y'all call it here. Faucet. Water hose. I don't know. But your greatest frustration in life is get, getting underneath the wrong thing because you get underneath the wrong thing and you start living in the wrong thing. You get underneath the wrong thing and you get your blessings get robbed, but you get underneath the King of kings and the Lord of lords and everything you needed will be added to your life in Jesus' name. Now watch, when you get underneath the glory of a king, when Queen of Sheba came in with gifts, she got underneath the glory of Solomon. The Bible said in verse 13, and the king gave to the Queen of Sheba. So after she was done giving, the king gave. And the Bible says this, that when she had been given everything that Solomon had given her, and she saw everything that Solomon had, the Bible said there was no breath left. Can you imagine? You ever heard of that blessing so much that you don't have room to receive it? You ever hear of that? Do we really even know what it feels like to have so much that you don't even know what to do with it? For the house to have so much that you have to hire a stewardship pastor just to give money away? Because you don't have you so much that you don't know what to do with it? This is where Queen of Sheba was. You... <gasps> And if you read the Bible, it will talk to you. Because in the original Hebrew manuscript, what this means is, is it literally is the departing of the spirit from death. That it's a heavier word than just took her breath away. It literally means that something died on the inside of her. But then the secondary meaning of this word breath means the spirit of God as manifest Shekinah glory. What did I say that when you give in the presence of a king, what do you get up underneath? His glory. That your giving puts a demand on the glory. So Queen of Sheba got underneath. Now just, just for all the Bible scholars in this room, I know that Shekinah is not in the Bible. Shekinah is an ancient rabbinical term, which means the place of facilitation for the glory of God. It's a, it's a term that they would use to describe a church or a meeting or a fellowship where the glory of God would fall in a corporate setting, Shekinah. In your Bible, glory is kabod in the Hebrew, and it is doxa in the Greek. But nevertheless, you understand that when the queen of Sheba gave, she came in with one idea. She came in with one agenda. Some of you are going to come in here with your own ideas and your own plans and your own agendas. But according to Scripture, what she came in with died, and she left underneath something new and something fresh and I don't know about you but I want everything in my life to die that is not like him I want everything in my life every ounce of my flesh I want my opinions to die on an altar today I want my flesh and, and, and the things of this world to die today I want to be underneath the king of glory here's, here's, here's what's, what's key 
Sheba's gift did not change Solomon. He didn't need any more money. Heart for mercy does not change God's financial status. Like he pretty all right. In case you hadn't noticed, he's pretty all right. Your giving does not change his wealth. Your giving was his invitation to intimacy, and it changes your position. And so now you get underneath something that you've never been under before. Can I get some sweet Jesus music over here? Thank you. So when you come before the king with generosity, you return to your world under his glory and you rule it with his wisdom. When the queen of Sheba went back to where she was from, she had a greater wisdom and revelation of how to rule her world. When you come in here and get in the presence of God on Sundays and you bring your gift to the king, you will leave with a greater revelation and wisdom because you've gotten underneath the glory of God to go back and rule and take over your world. Let me rephrase it. To take over your high school, to take over your middle school, to take over your, to see everybody in your job saved. I've been praying this prayer with our church that our entire city would be saved. That we will not rest until every soul in our entire city is saved. So we have to get underneath the presence of his glory because only his glory can change that jacked up situation you're in. Only his glory can change your marriage. Only his glory can change the prodigal son or daughter. So I get underneath him and I gain the wisdom I need to go back and change my world. I mean, if that makes sense to you, raise your hand, raise your hand. So like I said to you at the beginning of this message, generosity is not about giving up, it's about getting under. Sometimes I get really aggressive when I preach and I just wish I could come headbutt this into people. I should have smiled when I said that one too, Sorry. I don't know, Pastor Lynn, if you ever get that, you just feel that aggression. Well, I just, if you just got this, that I'm more concerned with leaving here today and not you knowing my name, or Pastor Lennon said some of the kindest, sweetest things in first service was a jerk in this service, but <laughs> like at the end of the day, what does it matter if you thought I delivered this message good, but you didn't leave changed? What does it matter if you like the outfit or you like the screams or you like the Dr. Seuss hat the pastor preached in? What does it matter? If this, you see all this work, all these notes? If this doesn't become rhema to you, then we have to quit. Because we're not building churches to entertain people. We're not even building churches for people, period. We're building churches for the presence of God. Because if he's here, then he draws all men. So listen, I love you, and I'm going to jump out on a limb and speak for your pastor. This church wasn't built for you. It wasn't built for the guests. It was built for the presence of God. Because if his glory gets in the building, then everything changes. If you get in the building, you get in the building. If he gets in the building, healers here, deliverers here, waymakers here. Oh, God. So I want this to sink into you today that I give to communicate my love to him 
And as a response to that, I get underneath his glory. Some of you are saying, well, man, that's Old Testament stuff. Like that's, I want to show you that Jesus quoted this scripture. But then even Jesus obeys royal protocol. Somebody say, my Bible is my constitution of God's sovereign government. Now listen, don't ever read the Bible the same again. I want you to never read your Bible again as a religious book. I want you to read it as your constitution. So Jesus, according to constitution, he must obey royal protocol. So according to royal protocol, when you come into the presence of a king, you bring you do what before you speak? You give, you give. So John 4, 7, there's a broken woman. She's wounded. She's hurt. Life has been bad to her and she's been bad to life. She's got a whole bunch of husbands and she's lying about them. She's been ostracized. She's been taken advantage of. She's been completely wounded. And Jesus sees the need that is resting upon the shoulders of this poor young woman. And so Jesus walks up to her in the seventh verse of the fourth chapter of John. And he looks at her and says, woman, I want to heal you. I want to do something significant for you. I want to see your life transformed. I want to get you under my glory. I want you to know that you're accepted. I want you to know that you're loved. I want you to know that my hand is upon you. But Jesus, unwilling to break the protocol of coming before a king, he says in John 4, 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her say loud so what give hold on Jesus you're the one supposed to give her something he said yeah but this is royal protocol was Jesus thirsty no Jesus was not thirsty he was asking her to give him something to set her up so she could get underneath something that would change her life forever God wanted to send her back to her world completely turned upside down and baby let me tell you today that giving is nothing but an invitation from God to get underneath his divine glory and so he said, woman, if you knew the gift, if you knew the gift that was standing, and the woman, she said, I'm selfish. I can't do this. I'm not going to do it. You ain't got a bucket and you a Jew. Can't do this, Lord. You know it's tight at the house. I can't do this, Lord. You know, you know my job. I just my hours, and it's a kind of a thing. You know I can't do this, Lord. Now let me tell you, you can't afford not to do this. Because your life can't stand another day outside the glory of God. Your life can't afford another day outside of his presence. You say, well, pastor, you're trying to tell me I can buy. No, 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 no. You cannot buy God. But you can partner with him. He said, if you knew the gift, he said, I would have taken your bucket. I would have taken your nasty water. I would have taken your messed up water. I would have taken, I would have taken your $8 an hour water. I would have taken what little water you had. I would have taken your mites. I would have taken your extinguishable. I would have taken your money that will, is losing its value by the second. I would have taken your money that is corruptible and I would have slapped my incorruptible on top of it and what would one day die will now live. When you sow into the kingdom of God, you are taking corruptible funds and getting it under the living water of God. And I'll tell you this, 
For every dollar you sow and every soul that is changed, you will never regret what you've given and you will never expect nothing in return. And one day you will find yourself under a window of glory. Now I want everybody in here to just search your heart in this moment. And I'm going to do a rather unique just, just ministry moment for those in this room. First thing I want to do is this. And I want you to just close your eyes. Just, just, just close your eyes. You say, this is another one of those religious behaviors. Yeah, it might be. But here's what I want you to focus on. Not who's looking at you. I want you to focus on him. So quickly, you know your heart has been pricked in this room if you're not living for the Lord. If you're not living for Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to accept him as your Savior. If you've fallen off, off the track, you say, Pastor, I've not lived for him for a while, but I got drug in here today. I want you to give your life to Jesus right here in this moment. But because before we can ever talk about generosity in giving of resources, you must give your life first. So if that's you in this room, will you raise your hand on three say, Pastor, pray for me. I've fallen off. One, two, three, raise your hand high. Raise it real high. Real high. Real high. Everybody that has your hand raised, I want to pray with you. Would you stand to your feet for me? Those that raise your hand across this room, will you just stand? Nobody's looking. Everybody's praying. Can I, Pastor Landon, if, I, if you don't mind, if I can just do a little shepherding thing for a moment. Listen, in this house, you know what? Those of you that have given your life to Jesus, there's some more of you that haven't stand yet. I want you to stand up. You can't play with your life anymore. In the house of God, anytime there's an altar call in this house, that is not the time for saved folk to check out. It's time for you to check in. So you should be praying in the spirit right now, interceding for those, weeping between porch and altar for those that may raise their hand. This is the time you check in the most. So everybody in this room that's not standing, I'm assuming that your life is right with the Lord, I want you just praying in the Spirit. I want you interceding and crying out for those that have been far from Him. Now those that are standing to your feet, I want you to take your first step of faith in following Jesus. And I want you to run to this altar with a reckless abandonment and no shame. Those of you in the altar, there are people all over the altar. If you're watching online, there's somebody that is there to pray for you right now. But if you raise your hand, don't be shy. Come on down to this altar. Why don't everybody in this room, you stand to your feet. Those that are standing, look at me. Come running to this altar. I just want to pray with you. Come on. Come running to this altar. Come on. Come running. Come running. Come running. All over this room. There's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing to worry about. Nobody's here to judge you. Lives are being transformed. Mercy culture, you should be losing your mind right now. This is what we came for. Everyone that's at this altar, anyone else, anyone else here, in the, you're, you're, I feel like there's a few more in the balcony that need to run, that need to run. Online, I want you to just, I don't know what keyword or what you text, just say, that's me, just wave your hand. Now, those of you that are at this altar, look, more's coming. More's coming out of the balcony. More's coming.
Do you have? Do you understand that heaven rejoices more over this than, than this entire message? That this is what heaven rejoices over? There's 30, 40, 50 people giving their life to Jesus and nothing matters more than this right here. You want to see revival? You have seen it. There's, there's some saints that's been praying for revival your whole life, wondering where it is. I hear the Holy Spirit say, welcome to Mercy Culture, a house of revival. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Mercy Culture Church. If this podcast has blessed you, we'd like to encourage you to share it with a friend. To learn more about us, find us on social media and online at mercyculture.com. 